Thank you for taking the time to listen to this audio sermon from Apostolic Worship Center. Our prayer is that you'll be encouraged and blessed by the anointed Word of God. If you'd like more information about Apostolic Worship Center and its ministries, visit our website at www.awcnorman.com. A moment longer in honor of the reading of the Word. We're turning today to two different passages of Scripture. We'll begin in the Old Testament, the book of Micah, chapter 1. And then we'll read also from the New Testament book of Romans, chapter 6. Micah chapter 1 and verse 5, and then Romans chapter 6 and verse 12. As you're finding that in your Bibles today, I want to again say what a privilege and an honor it is to be able to be here at our home church and to be able to worship with you and even to have the opportunity to minister to you is not things that I take lightly and I'm so appreciative to be here today. I always find it helpful to give a little bit of context uh, to what we're about to read. So the book of Micah is a circumstance where the prophet is talking to the divided kingdom. He's talking to Israel in the north and Judah in the south, and things are not well. This is not a time of prosperity. In fact, Micah is going to be prophesying about Babylon coming and 70 years of exile that is coming upon these two nations because of their sin. They've, they've fallen away from the things of God. They've built idols in their capital cities, and that's where we find Micah beginning to minister here in Micah chapter 1 and verse number 5. And I'm reading from a slightly different version just for clarity's sake. But he says it like this in verse 5 of chapter 1. All this will happen. All these things that I have told you and shall tell you in this word. All of this will happen because of Jacob's rebellion and the sins of the house of Israel. What is the rebellion of Jacob? Isn't it Samaria? Not just the city, but the idols that they had built in that city and what they were worshiping there. What is the high place of Judah? Isn't it Jerusalem? And he continues on. He starts to talk to them about how they've fallen away from God and they've sinned and God's going to tramp down the high places and there's going to be judgment because of sin. And then in verse 10 of the same chapter, he lifts his voice and he says, Don't announce it in Gath or declare ye it not at Gath. That city of the Philistines, these mortal enemies of the people of God, don't tell our enemies that we failed God. Don't tell our enemies. Don't let them know that we've not lived up to what we were supposed to live up to and now we're not as blessed as we should be. Don't tell it in Gath because they're going to mock us. They're going to tell us there's no power in our God. Don't, Don't let Gath know what's going on here. And then in Romans chapter 6, verse number 12, we'll conclude. Paul writes it like this to the church in Rome. Romans 6 and 12, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons. I understand the King James says as instruments, but that word in the Greek, it's weapons, it's arms, military arms. Do not... Yield yourself as servants to it, as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. 
by the help of the Holy Ghost, and for a few minutes on this Sunday morning, I want to name weapons. Gath and God use the same weapons. Amen. One more time today, would you lift your voice in prayer? Let's ask that God would talk to us through His Word today. Dear Father, we thank You, Lord, that You're here in this house. God, we thank You, Lord, that You're here amongst Your people. And God, we thank You that there's power in Your Word. I'm asking You for help today as I stand before Your wonderful people. God, let my mind be clear and the words of my mouth be clear. Let the people hear a clear sound today and let it not be the voice or the thoughts of a man, but let them hear the Word of God speaking, encouraging, strengthening, O God. And we will be careful to give You all the praise. In Jesus' mighty name, would You clap Your hands to the Lord. Amen. We're going to receive the Word with gladness in our hearts, so we rejoice. Thank You, Lord, for this opportunity to hear the Word. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. The church is a wonderful institution. It truly is. It's a wonderful thing. It is an institution that has been designed, created, and sustained by God. Contrary to what a lot of critics might claim about the church, the church is not a product of man. Because man could never design something so divine and could never sustain something so spiritual. If this marvelous institution called the church was a man-made product, if it relied on the wisdom of man, if it was reliant upon the power and influence of man, it would have crumbled many years, many decades ago. It would, at best by now, be relegated to the history books, something referred to as little more than a political tool of Constantine from an archaic age. If it were of man, it would be nothing but ancient history, probably long since passed from the minds of many men as so many other religions and gods and political organizations have been throughout time and through antiquity. The church, if it were a man-made thing, would not be around in the 21st century. It would long be gone, lying in the dustbin of history. But we sit in the church today. We're a part of the people of God. Class about been of history is not referenced only in some history class about antiquity, but rather the church has stood the test of time. And it abides yet still today because the church is a divine institution. The church that we are a part of is of God. Acts chapter 5 and verse 38, Gamaliel lifts his voice to the court and he tells them this very thought. He tells them, and now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone, these apostles that are preaching for if this counsel or if this work be of men, it will come to naught. There will be no power in it. It will die with these men. They will get bored with it and move on. They will not create a following. If it's just a man-made thing, it will pass from the stage of life. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it. No matter how hard you try, no matter how much you work, because you will be fighting against God. Dear saint of God, hear me on this Sunday morning. Empires have risen and fallen, 
multi-million dollar corporation to pass from the stage of society, but the church of the living God still stands in the 21st century because we're not reliant upon man. We're not built upon man's wisdom. We're not built upon man's money, but we're built upon the power of the almighty God. So the church has stood the test of time, and as long as God abides, the church is going to stand on until the end of time. Because this is not man's idea. This is not man's institution or organization. This is of God. In fact, I would declare to you today that everything about the church is divine. The power of the church is divine in origin because it is God Himself. The church has stood the test of time and grown ever stronger. We're a first century church in the 21st century, not because our leaders are wiser, not because we have more finances, not because we have a better organizational model, but our power is because God just put His hand on the church. So don't put your trust in chariots and horses, but put your hope in God who's got His hand on the church. The power of the church is divine in origin is God. But the principles of the church are divine in origin as well because the principles, the doctrine of the church is God-given. Some subcommittee didn't come up with our doctrine. Some conference floor didn't vote in on holiness. But it's contained in this precious word. And God said, if you'll just let it be a light, there's going to be light in your home. If you'll just walk in the power of this word, there's going to be power in your home. And so we declare today, there's only one God, and that's not a man-made idea. That's in the Word. We declare today, there is holiness, and it's right, because that's in the Word. We declare today that there's only one way to heaven and it's found in the new birth because that's in the Word. Some man didn't come up with that, but the Word of God declared this is right, this is truth, and the church is standing on something divine. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost on a Sunday morning. So before you cast off this word and say, well, man wrote that or man came up with that, you better find it in the book and say, this is divine in origin. God gave us this principle. Our power is divine. Our principles are divine. Our purpose is divine because we are not a people like every other. Our purpose is unlike any other institution. We don't exist to make a name for ourselves. We don't exist to accumulate vast amounts of wealth. We don't exist to make people popular or to accumulate power. We exist for one reason. To tell a lost and dying world that there is hope in Jesus Christ and in Him and Him alone. Our purpose, our power, our principles, our divine. Dear friend, you've come in to a supernatural thing today. You've not just come into another institution or another fellowship group, but you've come into a thing that is of God. This church that we are a part of is divine. It's of God. And I've been blessed to be a part of this wonderful institution called the church my whole life. 
Brother Dallas, in all my life of being a part of the church, I have found only one problem with the church. 39 of your business years I've been in the church. One problem, and one problem only. It's not our power. There's no problem with our power. It's not our principles. There's no problem with our doctrine. It's not our purpose. There's no problem with our purpose. All of that's divine. There's one problem with the church. There's people in it. And if we could find a way, and I'm including myself in this, if we could find a way to have all of this without the people, it would be flawless. Now, if you're offended by that, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. Because the truth of the matter is that people aren't perfect. Let me back up and say it again. Because I'm not just talking about normal, natural imperfections. It's my belief, and I've cleared it with your pastor so you don't have to worry. It's my belief that there's not a person in this room under the sound of my voice today that can honestly say that since you've come into the church, you've been perfect and had no need of repentance. Can I say it even more concisely for us today in case there's someone that's still kind of cocking their head saying, I don't understand. It's my belief that even Holy Ghost-filled apostolics can miss the mark of God's righteousness sometimes. And I raise my hand to say, I'm not perfect. You see, I have no problem telling people I die daily. I have no problem acknowledging to someone I repent every day. But what I don't always acknowledges that that's not just a normal part of my prayer life. Some people pray it because I'm just praying through the tabernacle. But sometimes I pray for repentance because I really need to repent. It's not just, oh God, here I come to the laver and the altar. Oh God, wash me and purify me. Now I'm going into the holy places. God, help. I messed up. God, this flesh won a battle. Please. In your everlasting mercy, forgive me. See, the Word of God is not bashful about this like some of us are. Some of us aren't comfortable saying, I'm not perfect. But the Word of God is not ashamed to say, you're not perfect. The Apostle John in 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 1 says, My little children, this is the goal. This is what you're striving for. These things write I unto you that you sin not. That's the goal. That's the mark. That's the bullseye of God's perfection. And if any sin, if you don't hit the mark, if you miss the goal, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. John looked at the church and said, hey, you're not perfect but you've got an advocate that's going to help you in your hour of need. Paul, the great apostle Paul, the magnificent missionary Paul, 
will speak openly and unashamedly about his own struggle when he writes in Romans chapter 7 and verse 22, he says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. want to be like the Lord, but I, thank you, brother. Boy, this is service. I don't have any cash for a tip, though. He said, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. He says, in my heart, I want to be righteous. In my mind, I know that's the only path of peace. In my mind, academically, I know there's only joy in the way of God. But there's something in this flesh that I still have to battle with day by day. I know I want to be holy, but there's something in this flesh I'm still conquering. I'm still putting under the blood. There's still a heartbeat at the altar sometimes where I'm trying to slay this thing. Even the litigious Pharisees, as righteous as they are, and Jesus Himself calls them righteous, they are forced to be silent when Jesus declares of them, He that is without sin among you, let Him be the first to cast a stone at this woman. And the righteous Pharisees drop their stones knowing, I'm not without sin. I'm not perfect all the time. Boy, it's a little quiet right now, but listen to this preacher on this Sunday morning. It is, without question, my fervent and sincere desire to be holy. And I believe that the power of sin is broken by the power of the Holy Ghost, but the temptation to return is real. The power is broken. Praise God for the blood. I don't have to sin, but the temptation rises up from time to time. I fully believe in victory but I also acknowledge the fight. I believe that I can overcome, but I acknowledge the war in my members. The truth is simply this, that in my quest for righteousness, I must admit, and you must admit, that there are times that I miss the mark. There are times when I do not utilize the power of God that I just talked about a few minutes ago. There's times when I don't live up to the principles that I just preached about a few minutes ago. There's times, try as I might, that I miss the mark of what God has called me to do. And this is the issue that Micah is addressing to the people of Israel. They are the called and chosen people of God. God's protected them by His power. He's given them their principles on Mount Sinai. He's given them their purpose that they're to be witnesses to the nations round about. But Israel has failed. And Micah steps onto the scene and he lifts his voice and he says, You sinned. You failed. You turned your back on God. You weren't righteous like you were supposed to be. You didn't live up to the principles of Mount Sinai like you were supposed to. And he gives that heart-wrenching explanation, the exclamation. He says, don't tell it in Gath. Israel, you failed. Israel, you've fallen. Don't let the enemies know because if Gath hears that we're not as righteous as we're supposed to be, they're going to mock us. 
And they're going to say there's no help in God. They're going to say they're just a bunch of hypocrites over there. And there's no power in that word. And there's no authority in their Holy Ghost. So Micah says, don't let Gath know. Because they'll turn against us. They'll tell the next generation that there is no righteousness to be obtained. Don't tell it in Gath. And Paul comes along. We're going somewhere, but you got to give me an opportunity here to get where we're going. Paul comes along in the New Testament and he preaches the same message, albeit a little more eloquently. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 12, he says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let it be the king of your life so that you obey its desires. And don't offer any parts of your body, your life, to sin as weapons of unrighteousness. Because there are some enemies of the church in the world that if they ever found out that the church doesn't always live up to the Word that we proclaim to love, they would mock. And they would say, see, there is no power in their God. There is no help for them in their Lord. They're just a bunch of hypocrites over there. They can't do what they preach about. They can't find the power that they proclaim so boldly. And Paul says, your failure, if you're not careful, becomes a weapon in the hands of the enemy to cut against you. Because the devil would like to do nothing more than to bring my failure right in front of my face and say, you failed. You sinned. You'll never be righteous. You'll never be what God wants you to be. So you might as well just quit. My failure becomes a weapon in the hand of my enemy slashing at my face. He uses it as a weapon against my brother and against my sister. Because if you ever see someone that you had trust in fall, it hurts your faith a little bit. That person you thought was a prayer warrior, that person you thought that was anointed, and all of a sudden they mess up, and you say, ah, if they failed, what help, what hope is there for me? He used it as a weapon. He used it as a weapon against the people outside the church, and he tells them, see those people in there, they can't do it. There is no real God. There is no real anointing. You might as well just go on with life as you please. This weapon. My failure in the hands of the enemy becomes a weapon against people, against myself, against my brother, and against my sister. I know it's true. I know it's quiet right now. Just bear with me for a moment. I know it's true because there was a couple not some years ago that me and my wife met. We loved. They made an impact on us. We loved them greatly. Kept in contact with him over the years. And just a few weeks ago, I found out he turned in his license. Him and his whole family walked away, said no more. And all of a sudden, my faith took a step back and said, wait a minute, that man you trusted, what's going on? What's happening? There was a weapon in the hands of the enemy saying, see, there is no help. But friend, I've not come today to beat you down. I've not come today to make you feel worse and maybe the devil's trying to make you feel I've come to help you in the Holy Ghost today because there are weapons on the enemy's side we acknowledge it but there are weapons on God's side too that God is not without his instruments of war that God is not going to sit on his holy throne and ignore the battle that is raging but in Romans chapter 6 and verse 13 the latter part he says but as those who are alive from the dead 
offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. Paul tells the church, you got two options in this war. You can give in to sin and be another number, be another statistic, be another weapon in the hands of the enemy, or you can give yourself to God, get up out of that sin by the help of the Holy Ghost, and say, I'm going to walk on in righteousness. I'm going to get up, and I'm going to go again. Oh, friend, I've come to help you and encourage you on this Sunday morning. You may have fallen, and the devil would like to beat you up for it, but there's a get up after your fall that God said, Hey, I can use you as a testimony. I can use you as an instrument of power, and everywhere I walk, somebody says, That's a man that's forgiven. That's a man that's not perfect, but he is redeemed. Oh, friend, your testimony is a mighty weapon in the hands of God that God holds you up. And he says, look what I can do. Look what I've done through them. Look how I can still anoint them. Look at how I can bring them back from failure. So are you perfect today? No, not on your life, but I am forgiven, but I am redeemed, but I did get up, but I did walk on, and I choose to still serve the Lord, and my life is a testimony. First John chapter 1 and verse number 8, he says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we will confess ourselves... Uh, confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are you perfect? No. But let me tell you my testimony. He's faithful. He's just. Do you always hit the mark? No. But let me tell you my testimony. He's faithful and he's just. Do you always do it all right? Not on your life. But let me tell you my testimony. He's faithful and he's just to redeem me and to pick me up and send me on the road of righteousness again and again. And again. Oh, somebody ought to lift your hand to the Lord if you've ever been picked up if you've ever been brought up by the help of the Holy Ghost, I'm not redeemed by my own power. I'm not forgiven because I'm perfect, but God is faithful. You, you know why the Bible says that men will see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven? Because they know your good works didn't originate in you. Your good works didn't come out of you. It didn't come out of your righteousness and your power. But your good works are a fountain flowing from the mercy of God so that everywhere I walk and somebody sees righteousness in my life, they say, hey, wait a minute. God is good. God is powerful. And if He did it for them, He can do it for Every time you get up, you're a weapon in the hand of God. I am able. I am a forgiver. I am a redeemer. I am the one that will bring them back. So get up. Get up and walk again. Get up and give yourself to God again. Get up and worship again. I may have fallen, but I am getting up. Uh, uh, Oh, the devil 
would like to shame you into silence. Oh, help us, Holy Ghost. Help us, Holy Ghost. The devil would like to sneak up alongside you and whisper in your ear that you can't be forgiven, that you can't be redeemed, that you can't be used, that you've pushed his mercy too far. But Micah comes back. Micah chapter 1. Don't tell it in Gath. Don't tell it in Gath. They'll use it as a weapon, Brother Sean. Don't let our enemies know because they'll use my failure as a weapon. But he comes back in chapter 7. And it's almost as if he says, okay, tell it in Gath. But tell the whole story. Go ahead. Tell it in Gath. But tell the whole story. Because right now, my enemies are singing. Right now, my enemies are rejoicing. He's fallen. He's fallen. He's not getting up. He's fallen. And Micah comes back in Micah chapter 7 and verse number 8. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. For when I fall, I shall arise. Oh, you accuser of the brethren, you've been singing over me. You've been rejoicing about my failures, but you got to hear the rest of the story. I got up. I got up. I'm still going to serve the Lord. I'm not perfect, but I got up. Oh. Mm. He said, I sit in darkness. The Lord shall be a light unto me. He said, yes, I'll bear the indignation of the Lord because I sinned. But I am getting up. He's going to be a light. He's going to bring me out. And it's going to be a testimony everywhere I go. That man's not perfect, but he got up. Can I tell somebody on this Sunday morning that your greatest weapon, your greatest power is not in your perfection, but your power is in your get up. I will not quit. I will not turn back. I'm not turning around. I may have fallen, but rejoice not against me. I'm getting up. Last week I missed the mark. Watch what I do this week by the help of the Lord. I'm going to walk on with God. Friend, there's something powerful about a saint of God that just won't stay down. There's something powerful about a saint of God that refuses to let the enemy rejoice over them because a just man may fall seven times, but he riseth up again. My flesh, this war that I'm in. Isn't that what Paul said? He said, there's a war in my members. Now, it's an old analogy, and I'm going to use it. And you just pretend like you've never heard it. You just ooh and all and say, wow, that's mind-blowing. From what I know from reading tons of history books, there's wars that are made up of a lot of battles. That's where you ooh and all, because that's deep. Never heard that one before, I know. World War II, there's the Battle of the Bulge. But it wasn't the end of the war. There's the Battle of Bunker Hill, but it wasn't the end of the war. Because I can lose a battle and still win the war. 
Paul says there's a war. As long as I'm in the flesh, I'm in the war. Until I get this glorified body in heaven, I'm in the war. I got bad news for you. Tomorrow when you get up, you're still in the war. Holy Ghost filled though you may be, you're still in the war. Until you get to glory, you're in the war. And the war is going to be made up of battles after battles, temptations and temptations, strife, things that rise up against you, and you're going to have to battle against that flesh. And there may be a time that you lose a battle. That mouth starts moving before your Holy Ghost gets in gear. You, Oh, God, forgive me. That mind starts moving before the Holy Ghost gets in. God, forgive me. And every time I lose a battle, the devil comes by and says, that's it. That's the end. See, you lost. Gotcha. You're done. You won't be anointed. You won't be used. God's not going to forgive you. You're a hypocrite. Don't ever even go back to the church. But there's something that ought to rise in your spirit and say, wait a minute. That was just a battle. That was just one moment. I'm still in the war, and I'm going to get up. I'm not staying where I lost. I'm not staying where I was defeated, but by the help of God, I'm going to get up and walk in righteousness. By the help of the Holy Ghost, I'm going to get up and testify about what God's doing in my life. Oh, somebody, you just got to get up. You're a witness on this morning. Get up. Get up. You ought to tell that accuser of the brethren, I'm getting up. I'm a weapon in the hand of God. It's why we preach so much about David. Man after God's own heart, but not perfect. David, Nabal didn't treat you right. What you going to do about it? I'm going to kill him. Oh, easy, David. <laughs> you kind of lost that battle. Let that anger God, get away from you. Easy. Hey, David. You saw Bathsheba on the rooftop. What are you going to do? I'm going to sin. Whoa, David. Her husband. What are you going to do about it? I'm going to kill him. Whoa, David. Easy now. Hey, David, don't, don't take a census. Don't count the people of Israel. I'm going to count the people of Israel. David, come on now. And here comes God saying, that's a man after my own heart. What? That loser? I mean, I've messed up, but I've never killed anybody. I don't think there's hierarchy to sin, but if there were, I'm above David. Hallelujah. I mean, I've cut people off in traffic before, but I've never killed somebody and stolen their wife. But God says, man, after my own heart. Why? Because when Nathan came in and said, Thou art the man, David gets down on his face and says, Oh, God, forgive me. God, have mercy. I'm turning back to you. And when he got down on his face and repented, God said, All right, get up. I'm still going to use you. I'm still going to help you. You're still my man on the throne. You're still the one chasing after my own heart. And David's power was in his get up. 
And David is a weapon for the church today because every time I wonder if I'm good enough, every time I wonder if his mercy shall last, I go back and look at David and God says, see, I did it for him. I can do it for you. I redeemed him. I'll redeem you. I forgave him. I'll forgive you. Oh, somebody, you've been battling against the things of the enemy this week. You ought to get up and say, I'm going on. Sister Borders, would you come? I'm coming to a closed congregation. You can stand. I read this week about a man that many of you perhaps are familiar with. Some of you maybe know his name but don't know his story. He's a man by the name of William Wilberforce. He was born in England in 1759. And at the young age of 21, he was elected to the House of Commons in the English Parliament. This 21-year-old man decided that he would make his great life's crusade the issue of slavery. That he would work his whole life to abolish it from the British Empire. For decades, William Wilberforce fought against it. He'd stand up and he'd make speeches. He'd introduce laws that would not get passed. He went from the young 21-year-old newcomer to an elder statesman of the commons. And still he had not won. Still the British Empire allowed this terrible institution of slavery. Finally, in 1807, he had a major breakthrough. But not a total breakthrough. Parts of it were abolished, but it was not completely done away with. In 1833, August of 1833, the British Parliament passed a law forever abolishing slavery from the British Empire. It came one month after William Wilberforce died. He spent his whole life in the war and only got the victory at his death. But for his entire life, he fought, and he fought, and he fought, until one of his opponents rose up and made this comment about Mr. Wilberforce. In Old English, he said, it's necessary to watch him as he is blessed with a very sufficient quantity of that enthusiastic spirit which so far from yielding that it grows more vigorous from blows. Now let me put that in modern English. He said, you got to look out for that guy. He's dangerous. Because every time he gets defeated, he gets up and comes back stronger than he was when we defeated him before. He's a dangerous man because every time we vote him down, he comes back a little stronger. Dear friend, I made up in my mind. I hope they have meetings in hell and say, you got to watch that man. you got to be careful of that man. Because every time he falls, he gets up a little stronger. Every time he messes up, every time he misses the mark, he gets up. And we can't keep him down. We can't use his story as a weapon because he keeps coming back to the altar. He keeps 
coming back to God. He keeps giving himself over to the Lord. He's a dangerous man. Now, friend, today, you're in the war. And maybe even recently, the devil's been on your heels telling you you've fallen. But today, you want a purpose in your heart. I'm getting up. I'm getting up. And I'm walking with God again. I'm not staying down. I'm getting up and walking in mercy. I'm getting up and I'm walking in the power of the Holy Ghost. And my life is my testimony. Across this room on this Sunday morning, would you close your eyes and begin to talk to the Lord? Now, God, I yield myself again to you. God, I acknowledge, I admit it, I'm not perfect. But God, my life's my testimony. And this week, by the help of the Holy Ghost, I'm going to walk in righteousness. This week, by the power of God, I'm going to get up. I'm going to be faithful again. I'm going to march again. I'm going to worship again. I'm opening up these altars on this Sunday morning. And I'm inviting this congregation. Would you find you a place to pray across this room right here at the front? Come on, this is this is where I find my strength. This is where I get up again. I'm coming back stronger. This week, I'm going to be a better man. This week, I'm going to be more submitted to the things of God. Watch me, devil. Watch me get up again. Oh, come on, somebody, would you lift your hands? Somebody needs to hear you pray. Come on, let your worship be your testimony. I'm back up. I'm back up by the help of the Holy Ghost. Saints of God that are still in your pews, would you find you somebody to pray with? Would you come and let this just be something that the body does together? We're at the altar together. We're weapons of righteousness together. Yes. You have been listening to an audio sermon from Apostolic Worship Center located at 3221 North Porter Avenue in Norman, Oklahoma. Our service times are Sunday at 10 o'clock a.m. and 6 o'clock p.m. And we also have various ministries happening on Wednesday night. For more information, visit our website, www.apostolicworship.com. You can call us at 405-329-1285 or you can email us at info at apostolicworship.com. We hope that this recording has been a blessing to you.